0: we're coming to you from uh, Suva City again for another episode of Disruptive Voices and today I'm interviewing two women. First time I've ever done two at once so we'll see how this goes but we're interviewing two women from Homes of Hope which is an amazing NGO here in Fiji just doing incredible work around uh, young girls and sex trafficking but we have Linny and Seki with me so welcome ladies Um, Mike, come to you first, Linny, because you're one of the founding members of Homes of Hope. You've been going for 27 years now. What made you... Well, maybe just
1: tell us, what is Homes of Hope? Thanks, Letitia. First of all, it's really an honour to be here. Um, Homes of Hope, so we have um, two missions, and so I'll I'll explain one mission, and then Seki can do the other one, but uh, one of our missions is to work in communities, and so... What we do is we go into vulnerable and hotspot communities around the nation, and our whole goal is prevention. We, we want to go on the top of the cliff and stop people from falling off into sexual exploitation, sexual abuse, sex trafficking. And so we go into these vulnerable hotspot communities, and we do awareness, we do education, uh, we have... Developed toolkits. One of them is called CETA, Sexual Exploitation Trafficking Awareness. And so, what it does is it just helps people to understand that trafficking is actually happening here, that there are laws within Fiji that govern trafficking, and there are also international laws. And so, it's not just uh, our idea or a white man's idea, but that trafficking is a real thing. And uh, we also are quite blunt about sexual exploitation and trafficking and um, sexual abuse. And so we talk to village leaders and we try to help them develop a referral pathway within their community. We connect them to other NGOs that can provide services. And then we also let them know about the training that we do on campus that Seki will go into. But the idea is is to bring vulnerable girls onto campus from these hotspot communities and just build these girls up, educate them, train them, give them skills so that they can come back to this community and be seen differently, be seen as contributing members, be seen as people that um, can lift up the community and empower the community itself. So that's that's a huge part of what we do in the community. And and also we work um, regionally. We're working in the Solomon Islands right now, and we're working with an organization. And everything that we've developed, whether it be organizationally or our toolkits, we're passing over to them. And it's the whole idea of really what difference does it make. It's not ours. It's something that God's given us, and so we want to share. And we've also... Um, developed a CSO Task Force. So this is civil society organizations. There's about 16 of them around the nation that have joined this task force to combat human trafficking. And um, these, are, these are organizations such as Medical Services Pacific or Save the Children or um, uh, drawing a blank. But anyway, these organizations draw together, and we've trained them in our toolkits, we've given them our toolkits, and then they go out with these toolkits to their target populations and do the awareness and the education. And they are also helping develop this referral pathway. And so we bring them with government stakeholders, and we all work together collectively to develop a national referral pathway, to develop national policies and laws. And so it's the first time really where civil society organizations have had an input into government and to the inner workings and it's just been tremendous. These people are, um, boy, talk about passionate and uh, knowledgeable and very much on the ground. Wow, that's huge! And there's so many other questions I want to ask you
0: out of that, which we might come back to. But we'll come to Seki. Tell us a little bit of your role and the second part of um, what you do out there.
2: Well, first of all, thank you, Leticia, for the for, for this opportunity. Uh, just to add on to what Leni have mentioned uh, regarding the mission for Homes of Hope, the other missions that we uh, that we do is to provide a campus, which is uh, a campus where um, we enrolled uh, the survivors or girls who are at risk for safe accommodations. Not only are we providing safe shelter, but it's also uh, a campus where we provide training to empower and equip. So let me talk a little bit about the training that Homesoft will provide. So we have different types of training. Um, in this training, we provided soft skills and hard skills. When we talk about soft skill training, these are some of the programs we provide, which is um, our therapy. Uh, you know, there are times when words are hard to express what's happening. So in art therapy, we do a form of uh, different therapy, which is dance, poetry, or drama, painting, or coloring. So this are a form of therapy where the girls have the opportunity to express what's happening on the inside. We also have inner life sessions. When we talk about training, we're talking about holistic interventions. So inner life sessions, it's more of... Um, to build onto their faith, irrespective of what denominations they belong to, it's finding the purpose and the meaning of what, um, what belief or what aspect of spiritual being they want to strengthen. We also have the seat awareness, not only in the communities, but we also educating the girls in creating awareness of the risk indicators, the push and pull factors, and all of this so that the girls are informed as well, the, the residents that we looked after. We also have other toolkit, we talk about uh, the importance of, you know, their body, because all of that has been taken away from them, they have their birth and all of this. So providing a psychoeducation is so important because it helps them to build what's on the inside. On the other hand, we provide hard skills program, which is uh, baking, sewing, um, intensive gardening, and housekeeping. So while we work on the inside, we also need to ensure that what skills are we equipping the the residents with or our girls with, so having this different uh, training lab, it, it gives them the ability to learn basic um, cooking or basic uh, ways to bake, or sewing, or you know learning about seedlings or the soil, and all these are also kind of therapeutic things. So for the the whole entire durations when one of the girls is at Homes of Hope, they get the opportunity to to be exposed to all of these learning skills. On the other hand, Homes of Hope also provide or facilitate when there's a medical need, whether it be uh, for an individual. But when it comes to awareness, we bring in other services providers, for example, Medical Service specific, Reproductive Health, and prema Foundation. So all of this organization coming on board to come and create awareness. We also um, bring in uh, legal awareness. And currently, we're we are having the, uh, the third year students for USB who have used the platform to do their presentations. So we, they have uh, opened the doors with Homes of Hope, and it's a great opportunity where we uplift one another in that way. But in my role, I oversee the welfare and well-being of the residents, making sure when they enter Homes of Hope gate, they're taken care of until the day they uh, reintegrate back to the communities. So from uh, their meals, the, we provide meals on a daily basis, ensuring that it's very nutritional. Uh, when someone is sick, when one of them is sick, we have to take them to hospitals. If there's a legal needs, like getting their birth certificates, IDs, or maintenance, so those are some some of the things that um, my department assists with. They, we stepped in, so in the form of case management, and yeah, so that's the. Old <laughs> That's amazing. It is
0: amazing, and I've had the privilege of being on your campus briefly uh, last year, and it's a beautiful place, um, a beautiful environment that you've created. Now, Linny, um, some people would have a hard time believing that there is sex trafficking in Fiji. Uh, <laughs> how prevalent is it, and what does it look
1: like over here? I w- would say it's quite prevalent. Um, and it's been interesting, the pushback that we've had about this issue through the years. Um, We have heard probably more times than not, oh, we don't have that problem in Fiji, or oh, and our village doesn't have that problem, but in actuality, what it looks like, and we can show you countless stories of girls that have come through the campus or countless stories of girls that we've worked with in communities who have been trafficked um, mostly by family members and it looks like anything from uh, for example a father giving his daughter to his boss so that he can retain his job or an uncle selling his niece so that he can pay rent or an auntie giving her niece to the next-door neighbor so that she can buy groceries, or a mother selling her daughter to a Taiwanese sailor so that she can go to R.B. Patel and buy groceries. So this is what trafficking looks like, And, and there is a recent movie that just came out, which is very well done, and we're just so happy about that, but it's not the picture that we've seen. And the picture that we see is happening right here on our doorstep. Um, we do encounter expats trafficking, and we've come across yachties, um abducting local girls and trafficking them. But the majority of girls that we've worked with have been trafficked by their own family members. Uh, are they getting caught? Are, are the perpetrators
0: getting caught? Or is it just uh, an everyday occurrence?
1: Um, yeah, this is, this is um, tender ground to walk on, but no, they're not. And so what's happening is, is that um, girls, girls are very hesitant to report and to go through the system. Either because of abuses that they've found within the police department, or within the uh, judicial system. For example, one of our girls uh, was very, very spicy and very determined to prosecute her uncle who had repeatedly abused her and sold her. And she lived. She came to our campus, but she she came from an, an outer island and she ended up going back to this outer island to go to court four separate times because each time she went the file her file within the police mysteriously went missing come to find out that her uncle who was the abuser had paid off the police chief who then burned the file each time so her, her personality was very rare to be so determined to take that guy, and he's now in prison. But most of the girls, um, they've been confronted with if you, you know being told by family members, if you take this to court, we don't know you. You're disowned because you're going to shame the whole family. And so uh, very few have taken this all the way to the court system. Still a work in progress, isn't it? Seiki, when you
0: go into communities, how do you identify the vulnerable girls? Do they look a certain way, or are there certain aspects that you're looking for, or how do you identify the ones that you're then going to bring to your campus? Um,
2: so, in terms of identifying, what we actually we do is we have uh, focal points in the community. I'm sorry, she is.
0: Um, <laughs> Just having a coughing fit, and that's okay.
2: <laughs> I can. You good? That's, that's okay. Good. No worries. So, in terms of identifying, uh, that's when we have referral from uh, communities. That's why it's very important to work with the communities because they can identify um, when a girl who is being, you know, in and out of that community, or if. Going to drugs or substance abuse because those are some of the uh, behavior that's coming about, what's happening underneath. Or there's a school dropout, or there's a teenage pregnancy in the communities. There's a high risk to that. So, what happens is with these focal points, they give us a call. Or maybe. Uh, that's okay. Well, let Lenny take over. <laughs>
1: Yeah, the, the more that we're able to train these community leaders to recognize the risk factors, um, they're, they're the ones that are identifying and they're seeing, wow, that family lives in total poverty, they live in a tin shack, but yet they have a fancy flat-screen TV. And they see cars pull up all night long and the girls get in the car. So it's, it's helping these community leaders learn what to look for and then they're the ones that are referring the girls, which is fantastic.
0: And what age are you looking at? Are these, you know, um, older teens or younger or all a variety? Can you talk, Seki?
2: <laughs> so, for our age uh, target group, we look at 26 below. The reason being is in the, you know, the piece of the pie. Those are the target age group we feel that are more at risk from 26 below. Uh, That uh, also the interventions or the approach is suited as well uh, because of the uh, vulnerability around it. So Homes of Hope, we enrolled or we bring in the single girls or a mother with the children who is 26 below and we also um, provide some support to the children who's three years below, because we have a program, um, not a program, but I would call a a creative center that when the mother of the child is going through her own healing, the child need to also be provided with um, support so that it help with the development with their own development, with you know, we understand about the stages of development of children, how important it is. So the, the mind is very, uh, I would say, very fragile at that age. So it needs a lot of comfort, uh, comforting environment, enabling environment, learning environment. So that is part of the preventative because when they grow up, it will be a bit different compared to how the cycle where the mother is at. I just want to add on that
1: um, through the years, so for these 27 years, we've had over a thousand girls come through the campus, and then tens of thousands of girls that we've talked to in communities. But out of these thousand plus girls that have come through the campus, our youngest mom that came onto campus was 11 years old, and the youngest rape victim was eight months old. So when, when we go and say we, Fiji has a problem, and people say, no, we don't, we can say, we can introduce these stories and say, yes, we do.
0: Stories don't lie, do they? And how do you help an eight-month-year-old
1: rape victim? You know, that particular case, we worked uh, very closely with her mom and helped the mom to understand um, adverse childhood effects and to understand that the body keeps hold of trauma and to help that mom learn how as the child grew up how to work that child through through the trauma so that the child could learn resilience and to learn to build on that and so much you know this this trauma the sexual trauma goes so deep that talk therapy or counseling um is not always the best answer and so we do a lot of We do art therapy, and we do movement therapy, and drama therapy, just to help the trauma come out of their bodies and help them to express it that way. So we taught that mom those different things. Uh, Of course, we know little boys are raped in this nation
0: too, so where do they go for help?
2: I think this is where we really need the support of other services providers, because if this is a the target age group that, you know, we provide services to, what about one organization jump on and say, hey, we, we can provide support for these young boys. I, I believe it, it takes a lot for everyone. The question is, what can, uh, you know, what can you do? What can your services provide? Because we cannot do everything. It has to take a lot from all of us. So that's, I think that's the biggest question to ask to the nations. What can you do with, with other target age groups? Yep. Knowing who's
0: doing what, hey. Um, so how, about how long does a, a girl stay with you in the campus? Is there a set time, a program?
2: So with the campus, we can uh, shelter a survivor from one night to a year. But our program goes for a year. So our time frame for Homes of Hope, where a resident can live there is a year. But it's a case by case. So depending on the day that she entered Homes of Hope, that's the day we also work with the reintegration. Reintegration team department, which is uh, they they're the ones who are building back to the bridge to the community. So at Homes of Hope we have a campus department, we have a community department, we have training department, and we also have our own op- the operations. So each of these departments have a different roles. So as soon as uh, a survivor enters Homes of Hope, campus work internally, then the community start to build a bridge. So while we look after this individual, they're ensuring that they identify the family who is a support system, uh, create awareness, they identify other services around. So when she is ready and when she graduates, and when she go back home, home will depend and that place has already been, you know, we've already visited, we've already c- contacted her back to the, the communities. But the other department that looks after the training, we also have internship, where the girl decided if she goes back for six months, if she decided to come back for internship, that is another, I would say, another stage of where if they decided to do internship, that is independence, their training with a form of allowance, this is teaching them that um, the responsibilities and also a way that, hey, they're making changes. They're becoming, you know, citizens of Fiji where it, it has to come from them. So that's something that Homes of Hope is offering to the girls as well. And with that internship we also have different stages. We give them six months and then we'll see how it works and if if they are doing intensive gardening. So after the six months they can go back home and do a project to see what will be the next stages to that. So that's the time frame and all of those.
0: So. A thousand girls, 27 years later, what are some of the changes you are seen, Linny, um, as they go back to their communities or reintegrate into life?
1: Uh, you know, looking back over the years, I've seen good changes and bad changes. The good changes are that people are starting to wake up and acknowledge that there is a problem. And... I'm seeing people start to get angry, which I'm so grateful for <laughs> uh, because with anger I think oftentimes people take action the The bad thing that I'm seeing is um, the internet has just skyrocketed the use of porn, the use of hard drugs coming into Fiji, um, international trafficking and the the use, you know, just the collaboration of being able to use satellite markers to coordinate where to pick up a girl from a remote island and to ship her off, and nobody is the wiser. So I think technology has advanced at at incredible speeds, and that has just really caused some damage. Plus, I think the Western influence that we myself included, our, our our culture has really brought damage as well. So I think that there's pluses and minuses, and the battle continues. Yes, um, for those who can't see, Lenny uh, is
0: white, <laughs> uh, like me, um, originally from America. So what made, and you and your husband and your children, what made you come to Fiji and start such a work?
1: Very long story, yeah. Yeah, we have six kids and so we came over here in 1997 and we were actually invited um, by a group of local businessmen to start an orphanage for street kids. And we were supposed to be the directors of that, but God in his mercy had other plans and um, we'll just shorten the story to say that that got us over here. And then God has been faithful to direct our steps in a different direction by using people, by using a beggar on the streets, by using a girl in a brothel. And that's how, what shaped Homes of Hope. I've had the privilege of hearing
0: the biggest story, and it's quite amazing. Um, it hasn't always been easy. Uh, there's always opposition. So thank you for your faithfulness um, with it all. What are your hopes for the future, Seiki, with um, what you're doing and with... The campus and all the programs, are there dreams for the future and the girls?
2: The biggest hope, I would say, is for a girl to know that they're, they're worth it. They're valued, they're loved, and they're unique. And if, if one girl come in and have found, you know, I'm worth it, that's something so big for me. And that's why we're teaching trauma informed and all of the other things, just to see that this woman or or this girl has said, I'm loved, you know, and I'm back with confidence or assertiveness, whatever may be. But it's having a sense of worth, having a sense of value and being unique because we know we are all unique and we are loved. And also, there's a place where they belong. It's a sense of belonging. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. What about, buddy?
0: Annie, are you going to be here for 27 more years, Linny?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, with my little cane, I'll be hobbling around. You know, Mark and I have talked. Um, I'm a 65, Mark is 67, and we just have no desire to retire. Uh, there's so much work to be done, and we're still healthy, and so... Um, We no longer do the daily, anything with the daily operations, but um, we're expanding to go regional and to write the toolkits and just do what we can to support these guys like SECI or local management um, so that they can do their work. Yeah.
0: Well, there must be some sense of uh, satisfaction and obviously amazing just to see what God has done through you and through your obedience. And Seki, thank you for investing your life into loving these women along with all your team. It's just brilliant. So thank you for chatting today. Um, Homes of Hope have a great Facebook page. Get on there and like it and follow them and you can learn a bit more about their work and help raise awareness that these issues are real. And We haven't even talked about the cyber trafficking, but hopefully I'll interview someone else, but that's a whole other world out there that is impacting the lives of young Fijians. So thanks again for today and God bless you.
1: Easily,
2: I see yourself. I see the pain beneath that bowl smile.
1: Come out from hiding, the sun is rising. Let the islands hear reason lay.